Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast with your host from SteelersDepot.com, where you can find all your latest and greatest Steelers news. It's Dave Bryan and Alex Kazora, always lit, talking Steelers. And now, here's Dave and Alex. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast, Season 14, Episode 93. He's Josh Carney. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Thanks for being back with us here this Friday. Steelers Nation, Dave Bryan, still on vacation up in Boston right about now, visiting uh, Steelers Depot team member Joe Clark. And so he's having a good time. You know, they went to Fenway, took a tour of the uh, ballpark yesterday. So uh, Josh Carney, as always, is filling in uh, throughout the week here. Dave should be back on Monday, I believe, but Josh is here. And we really thank uh, thank you, Josh, for hanging out with us and uh, filling in again. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Uh, yeah, it's kind of funny hearing Dave say 42 degrees is cold. You and I, <laughs> this is a great spring day yeah. over here acting like, you know, Jack Nicholson in the, uh, uh, what movie was that where he was freezing? Oh, don't I know ask me about movies, I know we're yeah. awful with it, but uh, yeah, <laughs> Dave, Dave's asking, acting like it's uh, below freezing. So that, that got a good chuckle out of me. For sure, for sure. But again, he should be back on uh, Monday show, I believe, and we'll kind of reset from there. Again, there was no uh, Wednesday shows. I'm sure you guys have noticed by now, but there wasn't a lot of news that was happening that would have occurred on Tuesday night. We record these things uh, with Josh and I the day before. We are recording this year Thursday around 5 p.m. So as always, if something were to break in, you know, from now until uh, you guys listen to this, then That'll be the reason why we did not cover it. And it's a good thing we really didn't do a Wednesday show because we would not have had the chance to talk about uh, Pittsburgh rounding out its coaching staff here with a couple of hires and reorganizations, new titles uh, for the team, and a new strength and conditioning coach was uh, was added in. So the the big news here from Pittsburgh, since the last time we spoke, Josh, was Mike Sullivan officially has his new title. We knew something was going to give and change once the team hired Tom Arth to be the quarterback's coach earlier, I believe this month. Sullivan was initially still listed as the quarterback's coach, a position he's held since being hired in 2021. Now he's the senior offensive assistant. And then another new hire being added to the organization is Matt Baker, who will carry the title of just offensive assistant. So uh, Josh, your thoughts here. Let's start with Sullivan in terms of what that might mean. We don't know what it means. They've not commented on it yet, but what do you How do you interpret this change of title from Sullivan going from quarterbacks coach to senior offensive assistant? I'm assuming he's just going to have a larger say in a lot of the position groups, uh, maybe bounce around here and there. I mean, the guy's been in the league forever. Uh, He's worked with a lot of really good players. He's seen it all. He's done it all. Uh, This I'm not comparing him to, you know, like a John Mitchell or anything like that, but this kind of has that feel of like, Okay, you're you're well respected within this locker room. You're well respected within the league. We're going to keep you on here. You can kind of input your ideas and you know step in and coach where you see fit. Um, and I said this before on a recent show. I like that they were retaining him in some form or fashion. You know, he's got a lot of respect from Kenny Pickett. 
if Mason Rudolph is retained, Mason Rudolph has spoken highly of him. We know how Mike Tomlin feels about him. And I thought he did well calling plays there in the second half of the season when he took on that, that interim tag. Uh, I'm glad he's sticking within the Steeler organization and, uh, the senior offensive assistant role, that kind of felt like that was coming in general. You know, he was going to get a, a a broad overarching title, um, and, and it feels like he's just kind of going to be allowed to to bounce wherever he wants and, and uh, just have his hand in a lot of the piles offensively, at least from my vantage point. No, I think you're right, and I agree. I'm happy that Sullivan stayed, and I saw a lot of avenues in which he could leave. He interviewed to become the OC for the Raiders and for the Saints, and I just think if you're Sullivan, you know, I don't know where he stood contractually, but if he wanted to go, the team might have been able to oblige because if you don't get any consideration to remain the OC after I think you called a a decent back half of the season uh, games overall, I thought his Mm -hmm. play calling was fine and an improvement over Matt Canada to get no consideration there and then – lose running the quarterback room to this kind of vague catch-all offensive assistant title. I wouldn't be too happy about that personally, but I'm glad he's there. I think he's a good coach. I think he's got a good track record. Players have spoken highly of him. Rudolph, as you mentioned, Eli Manning's vouched for him in the past. Now, what does this title mean? Again, hard to say. Typically, when the team releases their you know upcoming year's media guide, there'll be some sort of explanation for what that role may entail. It's broad in general, but a little bit more than just the actual title. I assume it's just going to be kind of what you said, just helping where help is needed. And in terms of game planning and tape study, he may handle a, a certain project from week to week and just kind of be another voice in that room. So some have said this is a promotion. Again, I can't speak definitively if it is or not i don't really view it as a promotion though when you no Mm -hmm. longer get to run the most important room of the team the quarterback room and now you're just this this catch-all assistant um to me that's not a promotion that's a demotion you kind of seen that happen in the in the scouting staff as well you look at uh phil kreidler kelvin fisher they had more official titles and then when omar khan came and they became senior scouting assistants and less so of what they were Mm -hmm. uh, what their titles were before so um you know what that role will be and how they will all work together. We'll see. But to your point, I'm happy that Sullivan is staying. Yeah. And I hope out of this, he got some sort of raise, you know, maybe it's not a promotion as far as you know responsibility goes, but I hope that, you know, the Steeler organization kind of took care of him a bit and gave him a little bit of a raise considering, you know, the role he took on in the middle of last year after Matt Canada was fired. And then obviously, as you mentioned, he had an opportunity to to look elsewhere for jobs. You mentioned Vegas and uh, New Orleans. Obviously, those didn't work out. And I don't want to say Pittsburgh was the, I guess, the, 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 the final uh, landing spot for him. Like, he had no other options. But I do hope that the Steelers, in, in giving him this senior offensive assistant role, gave him a bit of a raise, just considering what he had to do last year and how respected he is. Yeah, maybe. I mean... You know, they could have just reworked the the title. You know, I, I don't know for sure where he was at contractually. If he was under contract and just trying to leave may have been more of an issue unless he was going to get a promotion, you know, like becoming the OC somewhere, which did not occur. I would say generally and typically in Pittsburgh, the coordinator signed three-year deals. We know Arthur Smith got a three-year deal. I know Terrell Austin mm-hmm. only got a two-year deal, but there may be an age component to that where he wanted to do two years. And typically positional coaches will get two-year contracts. I know Eddie Faulkner has been getting two-year deals pretty repeatedly to run that running backs room. So if Sullivan was hired in 2021, that means he had a two-year deal from 21 and 22, probably re-upped on a two-year deal for the 2023 season. So I think there's a, a, a educated guess will be right. his extended 
through or signed through 2024. So I wonder if he's going to be with this team post-2024. My guess, and it's a complete guess with the whole season ahead of us, is that he will not be with this team in twenty or in, in post-2024 for the 2025 season. Um, but that's just a guess. But that's my read of it is that the, the Sullivan didn't have any other great alternatives. They still valued him. But they didn't value him enough to keep him as the quarterback's coach. And that says something. For sure. Yeah. You could you could be spot on that maybe he's a little upset he's not running the quarterback room at this point. Uh, you know, getting passed over for a, a guy much younger with less experience and less of a reputation. Right. Um, but but Sullivan has, has always seemed like the ultimate professional. Um, you know, I, I don't think this is gonna be an issue. And and I'm I'm just thrilled he's still uh on the offensive staff. I, I think his his resume, his reputation within the NFL, uh and his standing within that that quarterback room from a respect standpoint can go a long way. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be an issue in that room. I don't think Sullivan's going to create waves. No, um, no. He's, you know, army background. I think he understands about, you know, playing your role and doing your part. But I just, you have to wonder if he had an honest conversation, if he's happy with how this offseason has gone. My guess, and again, just a guess, is probably not. Um, some people have said, you know, the coaching staff, they've expanded the coaching staff. They have not. Uh, last year, they had 10 offensive coaches. This year, they currently sit at 10 offensive coaches. Now, could they add somebody and hire somebody else? Certainly that's possible. Um, and I think it's important to note as well, the turnover, they've turned over half that room. There's been five people have exited, including Matt Canada and five new hires have been made, including Matt Baker, offensive assistant, who was um, not officially announced by the team, but posted on the front office page of Seagulls.com uh, earlier this week, I believe on, on Wednesday. So Baker's a guy that we're all kind of learning more about. He's got a ton of ties to Arthur Smith and even some kind of, pseudo ties to Tom Arth, the new quarterbacks coach with Baker. He was teammates with Arthur Smith at North Carolina in college. Uh, Baker was a quarterback, Smith an offensive lineman. They coached together for one year in 2010 at Old Miss. And then most notably, uh, Smith hired Baker in 2023 with the Falcons to be, I think, an assistant special teams coach. Now his title in Pittsburgh is offensive assistant. I can surmise he'll be working with the quarterbacks, maybe more than other position groups, but an interesting name there in Matt Baker. Very interesting name. And the thing that I found really unique was this guy was out of football for a few years. He was in the energy sector, as you had in your your article. And mm. uh, yeah, I mean, just a, a really unique hire here. But uh, as you pointed out in your article, there are a lot of very key ties to Arthur Smith and Tom Marth. Makes all the sense in the world. And it's good to have a, a former NFL quarterback. And he, even if he never took a snap, you know, just bouncing around, um, you know, it, it's good to have that type of guy on the coaching staff that has been there. He's been in those rooms. He's he's been through those practices, and uh, he has such a good relationship with, with the offensive coordinator. So, uh, any way you can continue to solidify that message from the offensive coordinator on down to the players is a good move. And yeah, this kind of came out of nowhere. Um, I don't think any of us had heard of Matt Baker <laughs> before <laughs> he was listed on Steelers.com. No disrespect to Matt Baker, but. Uh, yeah, this is this is interesting. I'm I'm excited to see what his impact could be and what his role will be. Because again, you, you mentioned he's just listed as a, an offensive assistant, and what will his role be? Uh, we'll probably have to wait till the uh, the media guide comes out. Yeah, and again, it's going to be pretty general. I mean, you know, just just helping in the game planning, film study, cut up. Again, they may have special assignments. Typically, when you talk about you know creating a scouting report, one coach might look at red zone personnel, or there may be a list of things you look at in terms of formations and 
you know, uh, motions and how teams adjust. I mean, there's a, there's a long list of things that, that go into that scouting report and one, one person, the OC alone is not compiling that. It's a, it's certainly a, a whole staff's work to be able to put the whole picture together. The kind of pseudo connection to Arth is they never worked directly together, but Baker, as you said, he was out of football for almost a decade, came back in 2019 at Western Michigan, and then in 2020 got hired as the OC quarterbacks coach at John Carroll University, which is where Tom Arth played college football and was a longtime head coach there. Again, they did not work together directly, mm-hmm. but I'm assuming that Tom Arth probably knows a bit about Matt Baker from Baker's time at John Carroll. I would imagine, yeah. I mean, John Carroll... They're not known for churning out a ton of NFL talent, but uh, that coaching circle there is pretty tight. Uh, yeah. It's right. It's right there with um, Mount Union. So that that's quite the rivalry there. And I'm sure Arth knew all about Baker, especially with his, you know, his resume within the the football industry at the college level before getting to John Carroll. Yeah, and if Baker is going to be having a helping hand with the quarterbacks, then you know that relationship with Arthur is going to be, I think, all the more important there, or at least the, the foundations of it. Um, now, could they go hire an assistant quarterbacks coach? They technically don't have somebody to fill that after David Corley, uh, no longer with the team. I don't know if he left, or they parted ways, whatever the situation was there. So again, could they go hire somebody? That is certainly possible. Um, we know that you know the guys that left, Matt Tomshow was a quality control coach. And then Glenn Thomas, who was an offensive assistant, he carried that kind of catch-all title. He left to go to Nebraska to reunite with Matt Rule. They had links together in the college ranks. And so in some sense, Baker and the other assistant that was high, Mateo, uh, I think it's Camby, Why? I'm probably butchering that. I have to look up the pr- pronunciation on that. Those guys might be filling more of the Thomas Tom show roles so they could still have another hire. But whatever it's worth. In 2022, they had nine offensive coaches. In 2023, 10. They sit at 10 currently. So if they do add somebody, it probably would be one more name, likely assistant quarterbacks coach, or maybe some sort of that, you know, Bill Walsh fellowship kind of situation. But I think they're mostly done making their hires offensively. Yeah. And, and you had a great point. You know, a lot of people have been saying, hey, this is a bigger offensive staff. It, it's not, it's right. just different and different. a good, diff- you know, you had a, a really good article. Up, I believe was it Wednesday? I think you had it up uh, about it being a different offensive staff, or maybe it was it was uh, Thursday morning. Yeah, um, Thursday morning. Yep. Okay, so yeah, I mean, it feels like a more modern offensive staff at this point. You've got younger minds, um, you've got guys that are, are bringing different things to the table, and and I think a lot of these guys fit what Smith is looking for, and. You know, after the the struggles that this Steelers offense has had the last you know three years with Matt Canada's fingerprints all over it, you had to change it out. And you know, looking at it on paper right now, it feels like the Steelers have done a very good job of doing that, and they've got some interesting names to to kind of keep an eye on. Uh, and you know, we'll see. Like you mentioned, if they add another name or two here, um, I would imagine an assistant quarterback coach could be that person. Uh, but yeah, it's it's not a bigger staff; it's just different and different in a good way. Yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily a Canada's fingerprints thing because he didn't bring in. Uh, it feels like Arthur Smith. There's a lot more hires happening in his year than Canada got in in his year right. when she was promoted. But just the general vibe of this offense has not worked in several seasons, and you have to probably change everything mm-hmm. and look at everything at least. Certainly examine it, and coaching staff is going to be a component of that. So um, you know, you don't want to just change for the sake of change. But I do think it was probably needed just because you know, you're just not getting the results that you're, you're looking for and really frankly need. 
Yeah, you couldn't really run it back with the same yeah. offensive coaching staff outside of changing the coordinator. That you just couldn't do it. And uh, you know, I think that they've made the moves that they needed, and and it seemed like again on paper they haven't done anything on a practice field at this point. But on paper, they look they look more intriguing, I should say, uh, moving forward than they have in in recent years. Now, what coaching hires could be left? We mentioned assistant quarterbacks coach. That's possible, unless Baker's going to wear that hat. Again, we'll have to wait and see. I, I still am expecting an assistant defensive backs coach to get brought in at some point mm-hmm. because Gerald Alexander, we know it's been officially updated on the team site. Um, he has left for the Raiders to take a, the safeties coach job there with Antonio Pierce. And they have had two DBs coaches for, I guess, since trying to think back when that started. I think Terrell Austin, I guess, technically with Tom Bradley in 2019, even though Austin yeah, was, was the assistant, but you could on the field, he was running that, that room. Like Bradley was clearly no longer in charge. Uh, but then, yeah, since then they've had always at least one assistant. So I, I assume they're going to hire somebody or at least have somebody in mind to help out Grady Brown. Yeah, you would think, I mean, obviously I don't recall remember or knowing about Alexander until this past year when his name surfaced, um, for an article, but, uh, yeah, th- they would, they would have to bring in someone to kind of help Grady Brown just based off of the way it has been, uh, the last few years with the Steelers organization. It's a larger position group defensively. You got a, a lot of young players there, uh, that you're trying to develop and, and having an extra set of hands to help Grady Brown would be, would be key. And, and, uh, obviously Alexander got a promotion elsewhere. Uh, the Steelers were very slow on updating that on the <laughs> website. So it gave us some confusion, um, but yeah, that would be one position uh, to watch on the coaching staff that they could fill here um, in the next few months. Yeah, you make the point. They never told us about Alexander, so maybe there's somebody we just never really find out about. Um, because I yeah. think for Alexander started was it maybe midway through 2022 or sometime in 2022, either in the beginning or he was kind of hired halfway through and then was never officially acknowledged by the team until 2023. So point is, mm-hmm. if they don't have somebody yet, I think they will have somebody, even if we don't ultimately really get a, a feel for who that name is. But uh, hopefully they will at least announce it, at least post it on the website to, for us to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Alexander followed Flores, correct? Because he was in Miami with him? or um, I think there you're were, right. There were, there were ties to Flores somehow. And yeah, we just we never heard about him. Uh, until this past season, it was like, oh yeah, assistant DB coach. And it's like, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> when did that come up? But, uh, yeah, we'll see if they replace that, that, uh, you know, fill that hole there. But, uh, yeah, as I said, as offensively, as we sit here right now, I like the coaching staff in general, they made some, some solid changes and, uh, it, it feels refreshing for the Steelers right now. I know it's maybe not the most exciting topic to discuss some of the offensive assistants and it's hard to really know what their impact you know, will look like and what it'll ultimately be. And of course, the players have to execute and develop and so much rides on the quarterback position. But it, it's, the, it's the news of the day right now. There isn't a ton going on until the combine uh, picks up next week. And, and by the way, we are officially credential approved. We have three people going to the combine. Jonathan Hightrader, Ross McCorkle, and Joe Clark will have boots on the ground in Indy. Omar Khan will speak Tuesday morning and so hopefully those guys will get to, to be part of that in, uh, interview process and certainly we'll get to talk to the players and interview the uh, 321 prospects who will be at the combine so really looking forward to that for sure yeah it's it's always a great time to, to get that info from the combine and uh, i'm excited for for ross to get that experience i know and joe and jonathan have done it before but uh, i think ross is going to have a blast there in indy for sure you mentioned that they were the team was slowed to update the alexander departure 
I don't want to say they were slow about it, but they took about a week to officially release offensive tackle Chuck Puma Corfor. Got some questions about that because that was announced, I guess, last Monday. And then Mitch Trubisky and Presley Harvin were shown on the actual transaction log on Tuesday, the following day of them being released. Trubisky's contract terminated Harvin uh, way because he wasn't a vested uh, veteran. But a core four was nowhere to be nowhere to be found. And it took until when was it? Was that Monday, Wednesday? Uh, I'm, I'm getting the days mixed yeah, up be- at this point. I believe it was Monday because uh, no, it was Tuesday because I wrote eight days. So from the 12th to the, the 20th, it took eight days. Okay, so he has officially now been released. Now, why it took that long, I don't know. Obviously, there was some discussion, some thought. Could they be trying to work out a trade? Typically, when you hear these you know, reports and sources about a guy getting released and it doesn't happen, there may be some last-second discussion to, to trade the guy, to flip him for something. But for it to take you know, over a week for that to occur, I don't know if there was not having trade talks for a week about Chakuma core for I, I don't think that conver- <laughs> it's, it's a pretty short conversation, I would think. So I don't know if that was a procedural thing or somebody just not in town. I mean, Omar was at the HBCU combine. I, I, I don't know, but point is he's now officially been released. Yeah, it was very strange how long it was taking. The initial thought, as you mentioned was, okay, maybe they're working on a trade, but as that stretched into three days and four days and, and on and on, it was, It's like, okay, something odd is going on. The February 20th transaction sheet was uh, was very interesting. But yeah, uh, he's shown the door. They saved some money there, and uh, they will be in the market for either a veteran offensive lineman in free agency or in the draft or both. I think both is a distinct possibility, although whatever it's worth, Jerry Dulac had an article or <laughs> a, a comment or something to that effect that uh, the team is still confident in Dan Moore and was at least, I think, implying that they could run it back with Moore at left tackle and Jones at right tackle for 2024. Yeah, his his words were, uh, they have their starting tackles. Uh, and that was in a chat to readers yesterday, Wednesday. Um, so uh, I know that that ruffled some feathers, but uh, yeah, that, that seems to be the vibe Dulac is getting. But, uh, you know, we know, and I think everyone else knows, that the Steelers have a need uh, along the offensive line and specifically at tackle still. Right. Going back to some of the coaching hires, just to touch on it briefly, because there was also a, a big turnover with the strength and conditioning and some of the support staff in terms of Marcel Pastor, longtime strength and conditioning coach. He had left uh, earlier this year, the team hiring three individuals. And I always got to work on the pronunciation of these guys. Phil Matsus, I'm probably saying that uh pretty incorrectly, but he's now the head strength and conditioning coach, formerly at Boston College. I believe he spent some time at Ohio State as well, Western PA native, and so he's kind of coming back to his home roots there. And then an assistant strength and conditioning coach, Justice Gallick, and a sports science coordinator, also listed under that strength and conditioning header of Roderick Moore, or Tony Calderon on Thursday, had a pretty interesting article about Moore and kind of his background in, in philosophy. So um, just want to make some notes there as well. And Garrett Guimont still remains the senior conditioning coordinator who's been with the team for, I think, since 2007. Been a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did I did find the uh, Matt Seuss or how it, we'll have to figure out how we say his name. They've mm-hmm. hired some coaches with odd names at this point. Uh, but he actually played under Gallic um, at mm. uh, Villanova. Uh, Gallic was the head strength and conditioning coach at Villanova from 2005 to 2012. And uh, Phil Matus was was at Villanova as a player while Gallic was there. So uh, connection there that uh, I found while we were kind of researching those guys. And that's very interesting that they're going to be working again this time with uh, 
you know, Matus as 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 uh, Gallic's boss. So, uh, but yeah, good to see the the Western PA guy come home. Uh, Matus was born in Beaver and then moved to Greenville and went to Greenville High School in Mercer County. So, um, yeah, local boy comes home. It's a uh, it's a cool story. For sure, for sure. All right, uh, some other news here. That was kind of the biggest headline overall, some things that came across the wire on Thursday, according to ESPN's Adam Schefter and Jeremy Fowler. The Kansas City Chiefs are signing Matt Ariza as their offseason punter, Tommy Townsend, their star punter, appending for Asians. So we'll see if that means Townsend is on the outs or not. But Ariza um, has been talked about a lot in Pittsburgh circles for obviously, especially once a team released Presley Harvin, but even before then about, you know, the, the punting ability that he had a really exciting punter out of San Diego state known as the punt God uh, drafted by the bills had the sexual assault allegations gets released. Uh, the story appears to be untrue, kind of unravels chargers and you know, everything kind of drops lawsuits against them, you know, kind of exonerates him of any, any wrongdoing had a workout with the jets, but it had been left unsigned until uh, Thursday when the Chiefs uh, reportedly were in the process of signing him. So um, I know some Steeler fans are very upset about that. They're missing out on Matt Ariza. Yeah, they are. And, uh, you know, obviously uh, his name was cleared of any wrongdoing in that incident. And and obviously he was sitting there on the street as a free agent this entire time. And, uh, you know, fans were for clamoring for that guy even when Harvin was on the roster. And then the Steelers made that move to release Percy Harvin. And, and Matt Ariza's name continued to gain steam, I believe. Uh, Pat McAfee, he mentioned him as, you know, a potential fit for the Steelers. And, uh, obviously that has not happened. The chiefs jumped at that opportunity to maybe save some money at the punting position, uh, and get a guy who might be a bit more talented than Tommy Townsend. Uh, Tommy Townsend will be on the, the free agent market as an unrestricted free agent. He's one of the best punters in football and the Steelers, the Steelers have a need. So, mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're, you know, I'm not trying to say there's, anything going on there, but there could be a connection. Um, so, but yeah, Ariza signing with the chiefs on Thursday, that certainly has many Yenzers upset. Yeah. And I think the question is why did it take this long for mm-hmm. Ariza to get signed? And I don't, excuse me, know for sure. I mean, some of this was happening, I think more mid season. I haven't followed the timeline exactly of, of everything against Ariza. Um, my, my guess is, and I had mentioned this, I think on a live stream that, you know, there were still, although again, he was exonerated and I'm not blaming Ariza for this. There is still that baggage he'll bring of the story and, and some of the, the reaction uh, to it. And so I think for the chiefs to do it in the off season where it won't be, any sort of distraction players won't have to talk about it. Coaches won't have to talk about it. It'll kind of get forgotten about by a couple months from now when, when everyone returns for OTAs and spring ball, um, probably a motivation for teams to wait until the off season to, to make a move like that. But you know, with Tommy Townsend, I mean, yeah, you lose that on a riser, but if Townsend's available, Pittsburgh, I think has got to at least consider that. I don't know what the contract will be. It won't be, you know, super, super cheap. He's a great punter, but man, watch that super bowl. I mean, Townsend had such an impact on that game. Both punters were, MVPs until the the final couple yep. of minutes when Mahomes went off and you know won that game, sent it to overtime, and then won it. So yeah, I mean Pittsburgh, I think they need to have an ace punter. Whether you do that through the draft, through a Tory Taylor, or Ryan Reckow from BYU, or for agent route, I think you got to find somebody that can really become an ace of that unit. Yeah, I just looked it up. Uh, Matt Ariza last worked out with the Jets in May of 2023, so uh, he didn't have any workouts during this past season. Uh, and I think it was mid-season where he was officially cleared. So uh, unclear why it took so long for him to land a job, but uh, um, happy that he has has got a shot in the NFL again. 
unfortunately, it's with the Chiefs. It feels like the rich get richer. Um, but uh, on the flip side with, with Townsend, I did look up the highest paid punter in football right now makes just over $3.6 million, uh on average. So that's not something that's going to break the bank if that's what Townsend's looking for. Uh, and he certainly got the track record in the NFL mm-hmm. as one of the best punters and just put on that Super Bowl. I mean, he was he was absolutely fantastic the way he was able to flip the field and pin those guys deep. Who Who is the highest punter? Did you have the name in terms of who that was in association uh, with the salary? Let was me pull up the link. again. AJ Cole. I'm just trying to think about uh, Fox Dixon. I don't know who's all gotten deals done it's, and yeah, it's, it's, deals it's, coming. Yeah, Michael Dixon in Seattle, three point six seven four million. So okay. That's and he signed a, a four year, fourteen and a half million dollar extension in June of twenty twenty one. So uh, oh. he's been he's been the highest paid punter for what three seasons now. Um and that that market really hasn't moved. So we'll see. I mean, Townsend probably will surpass that on the free agent market. I mean, he's an absolute weapon. He was a captain for the Chiefs, all of that. So um we'll see. But I you know, that takes away one landing spot for Townsend and then might open up one uh, even larger in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I mean, if Dixon has been the highest paid punter for multiple seasons, then I think Towns is going to look for, you know, not just to edge past that number, but I think, you know, maybe I'm just guessing, but in that 5 million type of range to really truly reset the market. And I don't know what punters might be available, or I shouldn't say available, uh, but in terms of pending for agents who might get a resign, I was looking at Ryan Stonehouse in Tennessee because he's been among the NFL's best and he's still under contract, I think, through the next year or two. Um, so again, we'll see. I know today's show is not the most exciting top line topics of coaching staff and punters, but it's what we do around here. Important stuff. And listen, people really want to matter Isaac from the Pittsburgh and I wouldn't have been mad yeah. about it. I'm not losing sleep over him, not coming to Pittsburgh. Um, but I think the, the, the broader and bigger point that I probably would agree with with Steeler fans is they got to find an ace punter. Uh, you seen the benefit of having an ace kicker. Uh, you got to find a punter that can flip the field. They have to, I mean, they, they've tried to, patchwork it too often in, in the past. You know, Jordan Berry was a guy that they, it felt like they were always searching for upgrades uh, and he would always kind of win the job in a sense. And then obviously Harvin comes in. Uh, they tried Braden Mann last year, though I don't think that was truly a, a punting competition in, in training camp. Uh, but you can speak more broadly to that uh, since you were there every day. But um, yeah, you, you can't continue to just skate by the, the punter position. You have to yeah. find... Uh, the answer, uh, whether that's free agency, whether that's in the draft, like I kind of made the case for last week, uh, you just you have to do it, and you don't have to look any further than you know the, the the last four teams that were standing in the playoffs. They all had solid punters. The Super Bowl, as you mentioned earlier, punting changed that game until Patrick Mahomes just took off and, and went into MVP mode. So uh, you know I, I'm not losing sleep over Matariza. It, it, his Agency made it sound like he had a few offers in their statement. Oh, uh, really? So we, well, we don't, was sta- I didn't even see the statement. What did they? It was just thanking. It was just thanking the Chiefs, um, you know, for giving him the opportunity. It's something mm-hmm. he's been working for, and um, you know, he he picked this opportunity to go chase championships. Um, so that line kind of implied he kind of had options to choose right. from. Um, which uh, that wouldn't shock me, especially with his name being cleared. And as you mentioned, it's it's the off season. Guys are away from the facility. Coaches are, you know, away and all that and focused on the draft. So I don't think people are going to be focusing on a punting signing all that much, though. Arise as a, a bigger name. Uh, but yeah, back to the Steeler point, they they have to get this figured out. And and I don't want to see a, a cheap free agency signing or a waiver claim or whatever it may be. Go out and fix the hole. 
I think you said it well. You can't skate by not a punter for maybe for other teams. You know, I mean, heck, the Chiefs have a great punter and they have a you know great offense. <laughs> this year wasn't that great, but generally speaking, they've had a fantastic offense and they even understand and know and acquired the value of a of a top tier punter. So if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for Pittsburgh. And and yeah, they they can't skate by. And if it's a draft pick, and then we kind of had the conversation before, we'll have it again. I'm sure. I'm fine with using even a fourth round pick on a punter if it's a Tory Taylor or Reckow. I mean, that, that is a starter, one of your starters. And, yep. you know, in the fourth round, you're typically not drafting a starter right away. Hopefully, somebody that becomes that and can contribute, obviously, rotational type stuff. But if you're drafting a starter in the fourth round. I'm good with that. Of course, though, if you do do that, and Pittsburgh has in the past with Daniel Sepulveda, um, which was working out pretty well until I think he blew out his knee and had a bunch of you know, issues there. But if you mm-hmm. do make that investment, you better get it right. There is no margin for error there well said i'm i'm spot on in lockstep with you all right what else do we have to talk about i know we're both and probably a lot of us are kind of quarterback discussioned <laughs> out at this point but it is still really the dominant offseason story for pittsburgh until all these dominoes fall in terms of where these guys end up or don't end up uh terry bradshaw though to bring it back to who's on the roster right now bradshaw was on the rich eisen show thursday and Eisen asked him really point blank, who do you believe who do you believe should be the Steelers starter in 2024? And Bradshaw very confidently went to bat for Kenny Pickett and said, you know, essentially that he should be the guy and the focus should be not on replacing Kenny Pickett, but building around Kenny Pickett. He said, quote, I love Pickett. Kenny Pickett is, I'll tell you what, Rich, I know him. I know him well. He's fiercely competitive. He's a tough-minded kid. Things don't bother him. I really like him a lot. And then later on uh went to say. Uh, that trading for Justin Fields would be a mistake. He said a huge mistake. Quote, you don't need Fields. Stay with what you got. Just build, pick it up, get him another receiver, get him another explosive tight end. And then went on to talk about the need to improve the offensive line and protect him. So Bradshaw uh, making it very clear he is team Pickett. Yeah, and that's not surprising. He's spoken highly of Pickett in the past. Um, You know, the only issue I have with, with Bradshaw's comments were, you know, get him talent around him. I don't think Pickett is lacking playmakers around him. You know, I, I think obviously the offensive line has been an issue at times. Uh, there's no denying that. But Pickett has also had a hand in that with some of his pocket presence and awareness. But it, it felt like Terry was making it out that the Steelers are, are severely lacking talent around Pickett uh, and haven't done a good job giving him you know, pieces to succeed with. They've got a good one-two punch at running back. Deontay Johnson and George Pickens, a very solid duo at receiver. They added Allen Robinson, who was experienced. Granted, he didn't really produce, but wasn't quite used properly. Same with Calvin Austin third. We like their tight end room. You know, Pat Fryerman's going to get a, a, probably going to get an extension this, this summer. I just, yeah, build up the offensive line around him, but Pickett doesn't, he's not lacking talent around him. So um, I, I understand where Terry's coming from. That's that's how he's felt about Kenny Pickett for the last year or so. Uh, I just, I, I, it doesn't sit well with me, Alex, him saying, oh, he needs more talent around him. At some point, Kenny has to make plays and he hasn't made plays. Yeah, I mean, I I can sympathize with Bradshaw's comments. I mean, he's a guy that was a first-round pick that struggled his first couple seasons and got benched. And I'm sure there were some people in 1971, even early parts of 1972, wondering if Bradshaw would ever be the guy if it was time to move on and go find somebody else. So I not that I'm calling Pickett Bradshaw, and obviously the 
Steelers are rebuilding their roster and they're not, you know, analogous situations, but I think that's probably the perspective that Bradshaw approaches this with. And I also understand that, again, mentioned this on the last show, you know, Pickett, to be fair to him, really did not have a run game throughout the first eight weeks of the season. And even when it got going, he still needed to play better and it wasn't, you know, where the run game got going and he was amazing. But I do know that was a stress and a strain because the run game did not find its footing until the back half of the season of which Pickett missed the majority of that. So, I mean, I do think that's one aspect with this, this run game, this offense, they have to start much faster and Pickett's involved in the, in, in the fast start, but just the run game itself, they, they can't, you know, just be stuck in the mud for the first half of the year as they were in 2022 and 2023, because that is going to impact the quarterback play. 100%. Yeah. This past season, I mean, the run game was awful to start the year. They had, no run game against San Francisco and had to abandon it pretty quickly uh, because the defense couldn't stop them. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that this offense has to start faster. Arthur Smith has to have a game plan that that allows them to get off the fast starts. And Kenny Pickett has to be able to execute. Um, you know, there was the discussion there at one point in the middle of the season uh, that plays were there for Pickett to make in the passing game, and he wasn't making them in, in Matt Canada's system. So. Um, you know, I don't want to place all the blame on on Kenny Pickett. That's that's not what I'm trying to do. But he's also not absolved of some of that criticism, um, or or have you know sort of I don't want to call it a crutch, but uh, an, an argument for him uh, not having talent around him, so he's not in a position to succeed. Which felt like what Terry was trying to do. Yeah, and, and so it's just interesting though to get Bradshaw's perspective and his input. Oh, yeah. And you don't you don't see a lot of people, especially in the media. Backing Kenny Pickett, I think most of maybe I don't know what the percentage is, but a lot of them are more intrigued by going to get a Justin Fields or her cousins or Russell Wilson or, you know, Mason Rudolph and allowing him to be the starter. There aren't there aren't many out there who are really, you know, banging the table to to let Kenny Pickett develop. And so for Bradshaw to say that, you know, I think it's, it's pretty notable. Yeah, and there were the comments today from from on, on th- Thursday from Tim Hasselbeck, uh, I was considered pro ready coming out. He had more than 50 career starts in college and well, 24 starts into his NFL career and we're not seeing it. So that, that might be the argument against him, but I, I think Pickett should get the first half of 2024 with Arthur Smith, um, you know, with a reshaped offensive line, whether that's adding a, a you know, an offensive tackle or, a, you know, an upgrade at center, you know, let him, get an opportunity with Arthur Smith. And I, I think you had it earlier in the week, the the national media and even most of the local media is driving this infatuation with Justin Fields more than uh, the Steelers might be from, from the Steelers perspective, it's Kenny Pickett and insert veteran X quarterback here for a, a competition uh, and, and a trade for fields. Like we've talked about Kenny Pickett would not be starting. He would be the backup. So, right. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate Terry's perspective because like you mentioned, he went through struggles as a, a first round pick. He got benched. Um, you know, he kind of butted heads with, with Chuck Knoll very famously and, uh, things turned out for the better, but, uh, we'll, we'll see if that happens with Kenny Pickett now that he has a new offensive coordinator in Arthur Smith. Right. So, um, interesting input there and the conversation will continue kind of recapping the quarterback talk since we last had the podcast on Monday, uh, Chad, Johnson, Ocho Cinco, whatever he's going by these days, his little <laughs> birdie told him that Russell Wilson was going to come to Pittsburgh. Is that true? Who the heck knows? I guess we'll see. Didn't provide any other evidence behind that. 
Uh, Justin Fields uh, did an interview with the St. Brown brothers for the uh, 33rd team podcast. And he Mm -hmm. says he wants to stay in Chicago, wants to remain a bear, does not want to be traded, but also said, whatever happens, keep me, trade me. I just want this to be over. He just wants a decision and some clarity on his future, which is understandable. So, you know, what would you expect him to say is kind of what the retort some people have said. Of course, he would say that. I I don't know. I mean, he unfollowed the bear, so he's kind of maybe shown some... (laughs) I don't yeah. I don't know strong arming or some discontent although he claims he just didn't want to see their feed on vacation. I don't know how much the Bears are talking about drafting Caleb Williams and trading Justin Fields. I don't think the Bears official account is doing that, but all right, we'll we'll go with it. Um and he was also I think pretty candid throughout that whole interview. He didn't he wasn't like, you know, super player speak and buttoned up and I'll just say all the right things. He was I think, you know, pretty honest overall. So I think he's genuine when he wants to say he wants to, to to stay in Chicago, but I think he's also, you know, obviously genuine when he says, I just want to know where I'm going. Am I staying? Am I going? Just let's figure this thing out. We'll probably have to wait a bit longer. Yeah. And I don't blame him. You know, as a player, you want to feel wanted and it feels like a majority of the fans, at least that I've seen online from, from bears fans is they're excited for Caleb Williams uh, they're ready to move on from Justin Fields. You you see reporters saying all this stuff about Caleb Williams, and and Fields is kind of there, like, hey, I'm I'm still on the roster. You know, I had a pretty solid 2023 season, uh, and he's in limbo. And I, I get that feeling of whatever happens, just have it happen so I can move on with my life. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens. I I I would be shocked if he's not traded by the start of free agency. Um, just because you're going to have teams that are going to meet with agents and stuff at, at the combine, you might see something after the combine when it comes to to Justin Fields. I can't see Ryan Poles, the the Bears GM, holding on to Fields through free agency and leading up to the draft with you know all that capital. So uh, we'll see. But yeah, I, I enjoyed the interview with Fields. I thought he was pretty candid, and I uh, like that he said that he enjoyed playing in Pittsburgh, even though the quote refs cheated us out of that game. <laughs> Yeah, that was the other comment he made referring to, what was that, I guess, 2021? I guess that would have been. 2021, Monday Night Football, yep. Yeah, and the uh, Cassius Marsh taunting penalty there, which, you know, still rubs him the wrong way, but that's all. <laughs> he also he also called Pittsburgh one of his top three favorite yes. away venues to play. He loved the, he loved the he didn't love the refs, but he loved the crowd that day, so that also got some attention in Steelers circles. It certainly did. And uh, yeah, it was interesting that two of his three were NFC North places. So um, yeah, and then all of a sudden, the one place he's played uh, one time in his career lands in that top three. So Pittsburgh certainly had an impact. That That is for sure. And that has people buzzing. For sure, for sure. So um, won't belabor the quarterback buzz and speculation too much more because again, it's going to be talked about a lot with the Combine. You know how many rumors and everyone gets together. You know how much speculation is going to come out. So I'm sure we'll mm-hmm. talk about it a million times more. It'll be really interesting. And Dave and I will have a conversation, I assume, uh, before this occurs. But again, on Tuesday, I believe at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time, uh, Omar Khan will be speaking to the media at the Combine. And I'm sure he'll be peppered with questions about the quarterback situation. We've heard from Mike Tomlin. We've heard from Mark Rooney II about the quarterback situation. We have not heard from Omar Khan about his outlook on the quarterback situation. I would expect him to say similar things to what Tomlin and Rooney have said, but I still want to hear what he says and how he says it and all that kind of stuff um, for more additional information to kind of figure out where this team's head is at when it comes to the quarterback position and Kenny Pickett's future. 
Yeah, and I, I hope he kind of does one of those side sessions with with uh, Pittsburgh media as well, because it seems like he might be not looser, but a little more forthcoming in those sessions. Whereas when he speaks at the podium, he's in front of you know a bunch of national reporters, a bunch of faces he's not quite familiar with, so he might be a little more buttoned up there. Uh, but yeah, I want to hear what he has to say about the quarterback position. I want to see how he says it, how he reacts to certain questions, uh, how he talks about Kenny Pickett or Mason Rudolph or you know, the, the perspective of going out and getting uh, one of these veterans, um, you know, though he can't mention them by name, um, just talking about the quarterback position in general. So hopefully, um, you know, as you mentioned, he's going to talk at, I believe, 1030 uh, on Tuesday. I'm sure that'll be broadcast on NFL Network. Uh, and then hopefully he does a side session uh, with Pittsburgh media like he did last year that uh, our Joe Clark was able to get in on and um Hopefully he's a little more forthcoming in that type of session because Omar's still kind of growing into his role as GM when it comes to talking to the media. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. So we'll see. We'll certainly, that'll be the big story. I mean, the combine itself will be huge, which I think starts mm-hmm. Thursday. I believe the testing begins and runs through uh, either Sunday or Monday, I believe Monday is what it typically is done in the past. Um, but Tuesday will be, I think a really important date to hear from Omar Khan because we've not really heard from Khan since yeah. last summer, last time we really got to hear from him. Well, obviously, it's not, it's not atypical. The GM doesn't, doesn't doesn't speak that often. But, uh, yeah, we've not heard from him in, in quite some time. Yeah, I think the last did, – did he do McAfee during the season? I don't – No, because that was when he announced – well, he announced a Trubisky signing, and that was – That's right. That's where right. the season began. I don't think he did it mid – yeah, did he do it mid-season? Because didn't Tomlin – yeah, because Tomlin, Tomlin pop popped in? in. Yeah, that was mid-season because I remember yeah. they were wearing hoodies. So Right. Um, yeah, so yeah, we haven't heard from him. We he didn't do an end of season, which isn't, you know, isn't out of the norm. But right. we haven't heard him yet, so it's it'll be very interesting to hear his thoughts on the season in general, and uh, specifically the quarterback position because that, whether people like it or not, is the is the largest story for the Steelers now and moving forward. All right, to kind of wrap things up today, I know we didn't discuss this in our two-hour pre-production meeting that we had, but are you working on any draft profiles or anybody anybody new that that you want to talk about and kind of give some info on since the Combine is just around the corner? Yeah, you know, I I know it's not a position of need for the Steelers, but I've always kind of been fascinated with edge rushers and and two guys that I'm looking at here uh, right now that will be at the Combine – Xavier Thomas from Clemson. He was the number one player in the country coming out of high school back in, I believe, 2018. Uh, went to Clemson. Never really lived up to expectations. Uh, got hurt in 2019, 2020. He put on Twitter recently um, that he was battling depression and, and um, you know, put on some weight. And it really affected his 2020 and 2021 seasons. Uh, but this past year, 2023, was really solid for him. He was outstanding at the Shrine Bowl. Um, just looks like a completely different athlete out there, a uh, little undersized, but, uh, the guy can rush the passer and he showed that, uh, throughout the week in Dallas. And then another one that, uh, myself and, and Joe Clark really found ourselves just watching any chance we could get in, in Dallas, um, was I'm gonna, I'm gonna butcher it. So I apologize, <laughs> but, uh, Iabe Aman Okoye, I believe is his, his name from charlotte it's it's uh it's a doozy of a name so uh, i apologize to the the listeners out there that are shaking their head uh i'm sorry iabe oki anoma that's his name so uh edge from charlotte 
he played at five different colleges in his career. He was oh, wow. the number three. Yeah, he was the number three prospect in the country in the same class as Xavier Thomas. Uh, he started out at Alabama. Um, then he went uh, to two smaller schools. I believe he went the JUCO route at one point, wound up at Michigan, and then followed um, Biff Pogey, I believe, is the mm-hmm. coach that said Charlotte. So he followed him to Charlotte for a year. And, I mean, this guy – freakish athlete freakish athlete off the edge uh you know he was a former five star the ability is still there he's just kind of on the older side uh, but those are two names that i have found myself watching where i'm just like yeah uh, these guys are kind of the next wave uh at the position but i've also been watching a lot of linebackers in general just because i've kind of been you know banging the drum that that's a position of need so um yeah look for Okianoma and uh xavier thomas here in the next couple of days the Charlotte kid, what was his production like? Was it was it good at least his past year at Charlotte? Yeah, I, I want to say he had nine sacks. I'm pulling up uh Joe did the story uh on him. I'm gonna pull up the story, but yeah, the production w- was very impressive. Um you know, he he went from Michigan where he was kind of a rotational player uh to to a star. Um yeah, four and a half sacks at Michigan in 2022, and then Ah, only 5.5 sacks, but he had a, a ton of pressures. Um, so checked in at 6037, 253 pounds. Um, so he he's more of your traditional stand-up edge pass rusher. Mm-hmm. He can play with his hand in the dirt at times. Um, but yeah, he's been all over the place. He's got the pedigree of a former, you know, high-end recruit. Um, so that's the name that yeah, I'm just he blew us away in Dallas and, and his college tape at Charlotte is, is pretty intriguing. He gonna be one of those mid round guys that you know someone's gonna bet on I the think, traits yeah. and tools. I think so. Fourth, fifth round is kind of I, I have him pegged in the fourth right now, but I do think that fourth, fifth round, maybe some of those questions about hey, why did you move around so much yeah. uh in, in college is gonna he's gonna be asked that at the combine. I mean oh, yeah. he's he's gonna have to have an answer for that. Um, the, the move from Michigan to Charlotte was very clear why he did it. Like he, he said to us, he followed Biff Pogey. So that, that was it, you know, um, but, but going from Alabama and then falling off there and then kind of going the Juco route and all that, uh, he's going to have to answer for some of that, but fourth round guy, another Charlotte product, right? you know, I I think he's going to have a nice career. And apparently be a great combine too. He's testing the way that he kind of maybe projects and yeah. was kind of thought as that top recruit out of high school. Yeah, I think you're going to hear a lot of buzz uh, around his name coming out of Indy here in the next week. I think he's going to him and Xavier Thomas are going to blow up the combine when it comes to just some of the athletic numbers that they mm-hmm. put up. I, I I fully expect their uh, relative athletic scores or, or RAS as everyone knows it to to be sky high. For sure, for sure. So good thought to watch for maybe not the biggest need for Pittsburgh, but still never know what could happen there. And uh, there may be some value. Pittsburgh has two fourth round picks. So we'll see what they what they ultimately do uh, with those selections. I was uh, by the time that this podcast goes up, the report will be up on Spencer Rattler, the quarterback from South Carolina. Mm -hmm. Again, not that I'm necessarily expecting Pittsburgh to draft a quarterback, but this is a more realistic name to discuss than obviously in the top three names and probably even more realistic than a Bo Dixon, you know, the early rounds, maybe even more so than Michael Penix and Rattler, I think is a really accurate quarterback, short intermediate routes. Um, obviously he's athletic. He can extend the play. He keeps his eyes downfield. He's got a compact fluid um, uh, motion. I think the upper body mechanics are sound. 
I think he did get better throughout his college career. Obviously, it was a little turbulent going from Oklahoma to South Carolina and um, just kind of the ups and downs of his career. But I did think he he improved throughout. Um, you know, I, the ball placement's really strong. I, I, some people have said he's got a really big arm and the arm talent's like overwhelmingly good. I didn't see that. I don't think the velocity is fantastic. I don't think the zip is there to really drive the football. Some of the far hash throws he he tried to make were undercut and, and jumped. He's got to be more consistent with his decision making and not locking on to some rates. He can, you know, scan and go through full field reads, but he will sometimes lock on to that primary target and miss underneath zone defenders. You watch the Clemson game from 2022, just three miserable interceptions all because yeah. of that reason. Um, so I think he's, you know, I, more developmental. He's got to be a more consistent quarterback. There are some intriguing kind of tools and traits. And again, the accuracy is, is, is one of his better uh, strengths to his game. So you know, I think he'll be in that day two conversation. We're on day two. It's hard to say, maybe a bit more third round, but interesting guy with an interesting backstory. Yeah. You mentioned those far hash throws. That's kind of what he struggled with at Oklahoma. You know, he was coming out of, out of high school, he was on that, uh, I think it was a QB1 Netflix show. He was a big star yep. in high school, five-star recruit. You know, he lit it up at the high school level, and then he got to college and was like, oh, maybe my arm isn't the best. Uh, and he had to learn the hard way. Uh, but, yeah, I think that uh, from 2022 to, to 23, uh, just watching him live at South Carolina, it felt like 2023 he took that step forward. Um, you know, seeing some of the highlights from the Senior Bowl, hearing from – you know, guys that were down there, including you and Jonathan and all that, what you saw from him, it's intriguing. And he's kind of that 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 QB2, QB3 developmental guy at the next level for a few years, uh, just based off the pedigree that he's had and the experience that he has at the college level. So definitely looking forward to reading uh, your report on him. Uh, he's been a guy that I've kind of circled a, a, as a potential option for the Steelers if they went the draft route. Right. No, I didn't go to the senior bowl, but I wish that almost that I did because that's, he was that's MVP right. There. That's right. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, I had been going, but but I know there were some good reports down there. I mean, I know the I know at both the Shrine Bowl and Senior Bowl, the quarterback rooms overall were not getting glowing remarks. I think mm-hmm. it's hard to be in that situation there with new guys, new playbook. You have no chemistry with any of these receivers and new coaching staff. I mean, I think more often than not, I'm never really surprised when a quarterback doesn't look great in that environment. I mean, it's three days of practice. It's a game. I mean, it's it's not really conducive to, I think, quarterback success, but I mean, Rattler seemed to be one of the better ones and was the senior bowl MVP. So um, that that's worthy, I think, of noting when a guy can excel yeah. in, I think, difficult circumstances like that. Yeah, he was, it was QB1, forget what the, the tagline was, but QB1 was that Netflix show and he got suspended, I think, mm-hmm. right at the end of a senior year. That was a big controversy. Still not, no clarity on what it was. He, he was not suspended from school. And there was nothing on his permanent record. It was just um, suspended from the, the football team for some sort of district code violation. Probably doesn't matter a lot now. There are, and I, I didn't put this on the negative on the report, but there are some who seem to think that he's got a uh, an abrasive personality, a little arrogant. You know, I don't know how true that is, but, you know, when you go to the combine and meet with teams, I'm sure that'll be kind of one thing they'll be looking for is kind of the vibe and the feel of his personality and makeup. I think that matters a ton for the quarterback position. So that'll be one thing to, to hear if we hear, hear any um kind of feedback on how he's interviewing and talking with teams. Yeah. I hope he has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder after everything he's kind of been through going from that, you know, thought of as can't miss guy at Oklahoma. He's going to be the next Lincoln Riley product to losing his job and, and having to transfer. Uh, I hope he has a little bit of a chip and is a little abrasive, but uh, 
Yeah, yeah but some we'll were saying like he was arrogant. I don't know. He there's apparently just a reputation. I don't follow the college football landscape yeah. as much as others, but there were some who said, you know, well, who knows? I, I, yeah. I I'm not saying that for sure. I know he came off very, very poorly in the QB one show. He very he came off as very cocky and disrespectful to his high school coach, and it, it just it was not a good look for him. I'm sure. <laughs> If he could do it over again, he'd go back and not be part of the show uh, because it did not paint him uh, mm. in a good light at all. But, uh, yeah, we'll see how he interviews. And uh, to your point about the QBs at the the All-Star Games, you know, these Senior Bowl, Shrine Bowl, that's a discussion that uh, myself and Joe and, and Dr. Mel had down in Dallas. Like the last the, – the two years that we were in Vegas, you had Brock Purdy come out of it in 2022 and then – 2023, Tommy DeVito and Aiden O'Connell, it, they they looked awful the entire week, and then they get to the NFL, and it's like there's there's something to work with here. So it's it's a very difficult situation to go in. You don't know how guys want to run certain routes or how they right. get in and out of their breaks, how they time things up. Uh, so it's hard to take too much from it. But uh, when it comes to Rattler, I, I think he I think he improved his stock a bit at the Senior Bowl just based off of you know what people have been saying yeah um and now to be fair with that 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 show i mean he was what 17 yeah so, yeah i wouldn't read too much into right. it but it's out there yeah no i mean it's a fair point and it's still a reputation that's followed him um now at the end of, i think the college football landscape has humbled him throughout his career the highs and lows of it so i'm not saying you know what he was before is what he is now but one thing to look for but the report is out might I was trying to find, do you like NFL comps? Do you like in your reports or just hearing generally about, you know, the NFL comp, the prospect of the current or former NFL player? I, I do like to, it depends. If one comes to me and it's like, I can't get off of that, I'll include it. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I, I don't always try to come up with a comp for guys, but I'm curious if you have one for Rattler. I was struggling with it because I always, I start with the size. I mean, I think you got to find somebody who's yeah. got a similar body type and build. Um, I think somebody had compared Rattler to Jordan Love and I can kind of get that from the way that they play. But I mean, Love is a, is a taller, he's like six, four something, I think. And, and Rattler is barely six foot. I think he weighed in at six Oh one at the, at the senior bowl. So, you know, really kind of borderline on the height requirements. So they kind of limited the number of quarterbacks that I could go off of that were in that category. I thought about some Brock Purdy because I kind of thought, you know, there's an accuracy element to him. That's a positive. The arm strength isn't overwhelming, but I do think Purdy was kind of a better above the neck and just better decision maker overall this one. And I, I try not to do, do things where there's kind of a school tie in because it does feel a little obvious yeah. and almost lazy, but it, the first thing that came to mind and I just couldn't escape it was Baker Mayfield. Now I do think mm. Rattler's a little more accurate overall, but just in terms of decision-making a little hit and miss and, athletic but not you know not justin fields lamar jackson athletic and again that that personality a little brash a little yeah. arrogant but you know you can utilize that in, in a positive way if you do so appropriately um and then you know, obviously the, the the height standpoint the size standpoint to me um baker's arm might be a, a bit better and rattler a bit more accurate but i but i went with a, a baker mayfield comp for spencer rattler that's actually pretty solid yeah i mean when you talk about personality, they, they kind of line up, at least based on reputation with Rattler. You know, I haven't done a ton of studying on him the way you did. But yeah, Baker is always he's always been that that guy that's come off with the chip on his shoulder, abrasive. You know, uh, you're on his team. You love him. You're against him. You hate yeah. him. Um, yeah, that's that's a good comp. I'm, I'm curious to, to read your report and kind of watch Rattler uh, a bit closer. But uh, yeah, I would say Baker probably has a better arm. Um, mm -hmm. 
but uh, I do I do like that comp a lot, especially because they line up size wise. You know, that's right. that's solid. Right. Yeah, that's kind of where I begin. You know, looking at some names and then try to find somebody who's doesn't have to be exact, but but in that in that range. I, I like NFL comps. Not I don't want to be beholden to them, but they're just a good framework for me, especially if I don't know a player as well, just to kind of get something in my head about what yeah. that might look like. So I don't like to lean on them too much, but I do like providing comps for my profile. So I think it helps me kind of just in a you know in a one sentence way to describe a guy, the good, the bad NFL comp. So I think a good way just to start thinking about what a prospect, what his makeup is like. And I don't use comps to necessarily say this is exactly what their career will look like, but just from a style standpoint, how they play and kind of, you know, a rough approximation of, of, of their strengths and weaknesses, what that compares to. That's how I use NFL comps. I think that's where people get lost is that if you say Josh Allen is Ben Roethlisberger, people are like, Oh, so he's a hall of famer. Like, no, it's same style, similar traits. Like that's, that's where people get caught up. And I think that that's, I mean, that's a discussion for another time, but um, that's, that's how I like to use comps is the style, not okay. He's going to have, you know, a Tom Brady career or whatever it may be like right. that. That's the important factor that needs to be remembered when it comes to comps. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, and obviously I'm never going to use a seventh round guy and use him as a comp to a, a an all pro type of player. There's right. going to be something inbounds and some sort of, you know, guardrails, but yeah, I use NFL comps to talk about traits and style more so than this is the exact career path. This guy will, will follow. Yeah, I was, I was just looking. Yeah. Okay. So my Edron Cooper profile, um, the linebacker out of Texas A&M, I said, he reminds me very much of Miami's Jerome Baker. And mm-hmm. people were like, oh, Jerome Baker was a, a third round pick. You know, are you saying and it's like, no, <laughs> like it's it's similar size, similar style. Uh, you know, and Baker has turned out to be a good pro. But, you know, I'm not saying because I comped Cooper to Baker that he's going to have Jerome Baker's career be a third round pick and all that. It's just, it's just style and people forget that. So they see name and say, OK, right. You're saying Edger and Cooper is hypothetically Ryan Chazier. So you're expecting a all pro caliber linebacker. No, you know, um, you know, I think I even mentioned Fred Warner at one point in my, my story, just play style. Um, and people were saying, Oh, so he's, he's Fred Warner. That's what you're expecting. That's, that's where people get lost. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up as to that's how you use the comps because uh, yeah. that's important for people to know. You're right. Yeah, it is. And so we'll do that. And we're already up to, I think, around 100 draft profiles. And so we're going to try to have the most ever we've ever had in a year for Seagulls Depot. I think we did 272 last year. Yeah. So our goal is to to beat that. And I think we're already well on our way. Yeah, for sure. Team is doing an awesome job. And I know we've got some new faces that are helping us out this year that are that are really, really uh, putting together some comprehensive uh, profiles and, and and helping readers learn about these guys. And us and me, myself. Yeah, well, yeah, that too. Yeah. Right about all these guys either, that's for sure. All right, Josh, any other final thoughts, any other topics that we did not discuss that we should uh, touch on before we get out of here? No, I don't I don't have anything else, Alex. Uh, you know, it's kind of a slow time right now, but uh, things are going to pick up next week with the Combine and uh, excited to see the coverage that Jonathan, Joe, and Ross provide us. Absolutely. All right. So wrap things up again. I, I believe that Dave will be back for Monday show. We'll record that during Monday morning and uh, we'll, we'll kind of get Dave's thoughts here um, and get ready for the combine. So you can follow Josh on Twitter at by Josh Carney. You can follow myself on Twitter at Alex underscore Gazora. Follow Dave on Twitter at Steelers Depot. You want to send an email to the show, drop us a line. You can do so at 
uh, theterriblepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.